What you believe about yourself and your life is likely not based in reality, but in bullshit stories that you did not consent to, pieced together throughout your life with ideas offered to you from external sources. This podcast is here to help you recognize and dismantle those stories so you can reclaim your power and achieve what you want in life. Welcome to Yeah, I Made That Up with life and business coach, Kelly Jackson. Hi, I love you. And Laura's back this week. Um, This conversation took place a few weeks ago and we got on some soapboxes, (laughs) y'all. We talk about a lot of things. And one of the big things we talk about is not using other people's trauma as your marketing. And this is something that I've noticed taking place here recently within the direct sales industry and um, the direct sellers that I, I follow, frankly. And I just, I want to preface this conversation by saying, I know that some of you are going to feel fine about the marketing that you do after listening to this. And I am fine with that. If you feel fine about it, great. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, if after listening to this, you feel a little twinge of, oh shit, they are talking to me and I don't like it. I invite you to evaluate the marketing that you're doing and where that's coming from. If it's coming from a place of making things easy for yourself, but not really paying attention to it, or if it's coming from a place that feels icky, or if it's coming from a place that is, I don't know, like scarcity, or I should be doing what that person's doing, or... That person knows better than me, so I should just follow them even though I don't really like this. Or anything that's questionable at all. I want to invite you to really consider what you're putting out and whether or not you want to continue to do that. Because when you are using someone else's trauma as your marketing tool, it sends a very specific message to people who might have seen you as a trusted resource and that trust may now be broken and I don't want that for you. Again, if you do this and you feel fine with it, great. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Keep, keep rocking with your own tactics and the things that feel good to you because ultimately you want to show up as fully yourself in your business And if that's fully you, it's going to translate in a way that works, that works for your clients, that works for your audience. If it's not, it's not going to translate. So with that said, again, I love you and um, I'm sure I'll get some feedback (laughs) about this episode, which is fine, Um, but just kind of just kind of listen and and see what see what happens in your body as you listen. Your body is 
Your body's going to tell you. Your body's going to tell you what, what is right for you. I can't. I can't do that. I have no idea what's right for you. Um, and if you are listening to this and you're like, oh, I would like to show up more authentically in my business because this is not authentically me, how I'm presenting, then, you know, shoot me a message. Facebook, Instagram, um, my website, pressurepointcoaching.com. On Instagram, I'm at I am Kelly Jackson and Kelly is spelled with one L and an I. So it's I A M K E L I Jackson, J A C K S O N. And we'll talk about it. I do have a couple of one to one spots available still. Um, or, you know, maybe the, the year long program that I offer would be good for you and your team. We'll talk about it. Anyway, again. I love you. (laughs) Enjoy the conversation between Laura, my bestie, and me. Oh my gosh. Hello. I love you. And I'm so excited to be chatting with my bestie again today. So the first time, also the last time we did this, um, I mentioned that we think we're going to make this maybe a monthly situation. And it seems like we're actually doing that. <laughs> Laura and I have talked about doing a podcast together for like, I don't know, fucking three years or probably more than that because pandemic time is even weirder than normal time. Um, but we're actually doing it and I'm super fucking stoked about it. So Laura's going to be a guest. We get to chat like, you know, once a month, maybe more than that eventually, maybe less than that sometimes. Who knows? Anyway. We are here today, and before hitting record, we already had a pretty great conversation just to kind of get on the same page and see where we're going today. Um, And where we are starting is with Lizzo and the song and the changing lyrics and what that means. Neither of us are interested in or willing to get involved in the conversation trying to be like representative of somebody who we are not. Both of us are white. Both of us are able-bodied. So we are not coming to the conversation from any sort of trying to pretend like we know what the Black experience is like or what the experience is like living in a disabled body. However, we want to talk about this from, from the idea of how taking accountability for yourself and for your actions, number one, doesn't mean anything about you as a person. Like you're not a shitty person if you take accountability for something that you've done that doesn't necessarily uphold your values. And number two, not taking accountability comes from a place of perfectionism and expecting yourself to be perfect and never make a mistake. And being willing to take accountability really requires a whole lot of self-growth and overcoming the socialized bullshit that we are all sort of, I don't know, bathed in, immersed in from birth. So, Laura, (laughs) Um, you actually brought uh, an interesting perspective to this for me because I had not seen this at all. Um, I what I saw was people posting about how the song lyric shouldn't include a specific word 
because it is derogatory to the disabled community. And then I saw Lizzo take accountability for it. She posted, she um, said like, hey, I didn't know this. Thank you for educating me. Now I've changed it. And that was the end of the conversation as far as what I saw. But you actually have seen a lot more nuance in this conversation and a lot more, um, I don't know, conversation itself happening. And so tell us, tell us a little bit about what you saw and why that's different than just like, oh, I made a mistake. So let me clear it up. Like why, why was it an actual mistake and why was it different from maybe other people who have used the same language? Well, I saw some, um, I saw a posting from someone who was pointing out that everybody was very quick to jump on Lizzo and how they were, my general feeling as I was reading like this thing was like, you know, all of you are really quick to jump on her. You're quick to like attack her, tell her she did this bad, this bad, whatever. And yet like other people have done it. Um, you know, someone said like Eminem did it. I don't know. I, this is just what was in here. No fact checking. Um, and what I was seeing was holding her to such a high standard that then the media, the second she included a word in a song that like, I'm sure it's because it rhymed and it fit and it's whatever she thought it was just a slang vernacular as I did too. I did not, I did not know the origins of the word. I did not know that either um, mm -hmm. until now. And they were like, and then immediately you suck, you need to fix this. And then she took accountability and it's like, well, you should have known better. You should have not. How, how could she have known better? Yeah. I fucking hate that. And like, of course people are holding now again, no fact checking. I don't know Eminem's lyrics. Like he, yeah, I don't know my hometown. And that's about as much as I know about it. <laughs> um, um, if of course they are, they quote unquote society at large is holding Lizzo to a higher standard than Eminem because everyone is held to a higher standard than white men and especially black mm -hmm. women are held to like basically the highest fucking standard, which is correct absurd. But like, it also seems like rich black women are even higher standard because yeah. if they're not Oprah, then they suck. But even if they are Oprah and they say one bad thing, they also suck. Right, and, so, and we're going to demonize you. Fuck that. Right. And then I, you see this a lot in general with specifically women and women who aren't afraid to talk about how they feel, talk about what they believe in and all of that, that um, if they say something you disagree with, then, ho, Betsy, you suck. Betsy, you go away because mm -hmm. they're so uncomfortable that maybe they don't they're they're learning about something. And I very much identify with this. 10 years ago, it was the thing where it was like, I don't like that person. Um, I don't like that person anymore, blah, blah, blah. And if I dug into it, which I have, um, it's because they were challenging what I thought. Mm -hmm. And then I came back to the whole thing I've been very, very, very vocal about over the past year about confirmation bias versus, you know, actual social discourse. And so I guarantee you a lot of these people who are saying Lizzo should have known better. Lizzo should have done. She, she never should have made this mistake to begin with, blah, blah, blah. A lot of them couldn't have known either. Yeah. Like what? Because she should know better because she has way more money than you and she's way more famous than you. Like why? We all are continuing to be students of the world 
always anyway. And I, I also then just thought about something my mom always says. My mom, lifelong educator, she's been retired from teaching um, even online officially for a few years now or a year. But she's like, listen, I want to learn something every day. Yeah. If I don't learn something that day, that's the day I might as well die because I've heard I was student. <laughs> and she is, she's always learning something. Or when we're on vacation, she's teaching you. She's like, oh, well, do you really want to know? Let me tell you scientifically why that tree is doing that thing. And I'm that way too. Like, I want to learn. This is a way to be learning. And learning doesn't just mean facts and figures. Learning means understanding nuance in people, understanding that you know, we all can make mistakes, but why are we holding everybody to this standard that we're probably holding ourselves to? But when we do it, we're going to ignore it. But when other people do it, we're going to attack them. I don't think that we ignore it when we do it to ourselves though. I don't think we ignored it at all. I think that we beat the shit out of ourselves and beat ourselves down and hold ourselves back from the things that we want. And I think that we only Valid. other people to those bullshit standards because we hold ourselves to them. And when we are willing to let go of that perfectionism within ourselves. And when we are willing to let go of all of that bullshit within ourselves, then we are able to see nuance in other people. We are able to offer other people grace where before we would just hold them to an asinine standard that no one is able to uphold and then knock them down at the first fucking thing that we either see as a mistake or just don't agree with. Valid. And I, I do think I spoke a little too fast, which is normal for me. Um, but I, because it's not necessarily like we ignore it when we do it, but we don't oh, outwardly experience it. We experience no. it internally. And I think that's more kind of where I was going with it. So thank you for pointing out that like, yeah, no, we know when we do that. Um, people who aren't very in touch with their emotions, people who aren't very in touch with um, how their behaviors are tied to their thoughts, um, now those people, there might be some people like that, that really don't even think that they do because they are inside convincing themselves. I didn't fuck up. It's fine. Um, because there may be in a spiral of like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. I never did that. I, I never did anything wrong. Right. Because they're afraid to feel that. Yeah. It's, all justification. Of that. it's justification instead of grace yes. and, and compassion and understanding. And we like, should be able to mess up and then say, oh, I messed up. And then we should be able to move on ourselves. Mm -hmm. but if other people aren't going to let you move on, what I, I just, I, I, I see this and it just frustrates the hell out of me. Well, and I think that, so with, with the idea that we don't allow ourselves to publicly talk about our mistakes, which is essentially what we're getting to here is like, when we make mistakes, we beat the shit out of ourselves, but it's internal and it's self-shame and it's a self-spiral. And we might have an internal justification or we might even have an external justification where we tell all of our friends why it wasn't our fault or why it wasn't a mistake or like what the fuck ever. But like when we don't allow ourselves to make a mistake and especially publicly discuss those mistakes, then we completely hold ourselves back from anything that it is that we want because we don't think that we are able to take any action unless it's going to be absolutely perfect. And then we know it's not going to be perfect because, oh, I've made mistakes before, so I can't fucking do it. And we just like, don't do anything. And that's what, that's, that's the kind of bullshit that first of all is the basis for 
cancel culture, call out culture, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And also is the basis for why so many people do not succeed in the endeavors that they go after, whether that's direct sales or it's fucking learning how to surf or like whatever else. Like when you start something, if you are expecting yourself to not make a fucking mistake, because if you do make a mistake, you're going to beat the shit out of yourself. You don't allow yourself to learn and grow. You don't allow yourself to be a beginner. You have to be willing to be shitty at something in order to get good at it. Right. And not only have to allow yourself to be shitty, you have to allow yourself to um, recognize when I could have done that better. And I, you know, I'll try it again next time and maybe it'll be better. Maybe it won't because also that's what the human experience is. Yeah. Figuring out what doesn't work is just as valuable, if not more so, as figuring out what does work. And this goes into any type of business. I mean, direct sales, having a party and you come back and you're like, oh, I didn't have very high sales. So it was a bad party. What else though happened at that party? Did you make connections? Did you feel more confident talking to people? Um, Did you share information or have feedback from someone? I mean, it's not just about that one thing either. And so if we're totally looking for how we're going to fail, because we know we're going to probably suck and then just have to move on then we're also not always seeing the other stuff. Mm -hmm. It's the bugs on the windshield thing. Don't look at the bugs, look at the road. Yeah. Very valid in this, in in anything too. Don't look at the bug of Lizzo saying that one word. Look at everything else she has done. Look at, I don't have Prime anymore, so I haven't watched her show, but I have read some articles about it. And I know several people, you included, who say it's a really, really great experience it's of so women's good. empowerment. I even like hate uh, reality television. Yeah. It's not my jam, yeah. but it is such a good show. I've seen several different people, like it, there's just so much happening in it that's good. Like that's the road. Yeah. That's the journey, you know? Yeah. And like even her shapewear collection, the way that, the way that, what is it called? Yitty? The way that it is advertised, the sizing goes from 4X down to XS. So like they start at the larger size, which now I've seen two or three other shapewear companies and like athletic wear companies that have started putting their sizing up in that direction. And like, no one ever did that before. Yeah. Cause I gotta say when you open something up and even for the the photos, and this is something too, old Navy has, has kind of tried to be doing this. I don't know business wise if it's worked out, but like they don't have, from my, from my understanding, they don't have women and then plus size women. It's just, here's our clothes and everything is in extra small to like, I don't know how far up they go three or four X. I think, I don't know. Um, but when you click on it and the first picture is the size zero or the small, and then you go to the sizing and you click on it and it's like a drop down, and you have to keep scrolling to get to your size. Like there's something, it feels a certain way when you, once you've been doing that for a while, you know, yeah. like when I'm like, I got to scroll or, okay, well this looks cute, but do they have it in two XL? Cause I need the two XL. Um, but whereas if you open it and automatically it's like four X and you're like, okay, I probably can find the size that works for me because I know that I am probably four X or below, like Mm -hmm. just having that type of mental shift 
when we're looking for something that's cute and having old navy also has i will i, I will say this too because i think this is great you can pick the model you want to see so they have like five different um no more than that probably i don't know i picked between like four different ones so you like look at the size range you're looking at and then they show you a picture of like four different women and they give you like their stats like here's like some of their measurements and like the sizing that they wear and whatever and you can pick the body type that is most representative of what you're looking for, like your your body type and the size. Oh, shit, I didn't know I needed to start shopping at Old Navy, yes. but now I do. <laughs> and so you can see all of it. And so, I mean, when it first came out, I know it was a big deal. Um, Katie Serino, who founded Mega Babe, she was a big proponent of this. Like Old Navy is finally doing what I've been trying to get people to do. It's not about plus size and straight size. It's about women's sizes and, and that sort of thing. Um, I've since seen some articles that like, on the business perspective, it's not working so great for them, I guess, because they're now making clothes that cover all these ranges. And so then they end up with a ton of stuff, you know, clothing that's not selling in certain sizes, whatever. I don't know. I do think, I hope it's something they continue to go forward with because it's just a great, great thing to see that and be like, oh, okay. Which size do I want to be? What do I want to see? How do I want to see what this gene actually looks like on a woman who has a fupa or a woman who has hips? Um, yeah. You know, that type of thing. Yeah, I think that anything that we can do to make our businesses more inclusive, to allow people to see themselves in whatever it is that we're representing, whatever it is that we're selling, that way they can make an informed decision about whether or not it works for them. Like if I see somebody in an article of clothing who is shorter, I'm five, two, right. Who has a fucking pear shape that like, I don't like the way that hangs on that person's body. I know I'm not going to buy that article of clothing. If I see that only on someone who maybe is a quote unquote plus size model, but they're fucking five, 10 and they've got an hourglass figure and, you know, it doesn't look anything like my body. I buy it and it looks like shit on me or I have to have it tailored so much that it's a completely different garment. Then like that's I hate that. I, I want to know when I'm buying something that it works for me, whether that's a product or a service. I want to know that it works for me. Okay. So what you just said too, I, you're welcome for this. I circled it back because what you said was anything, anytime we can do anything where people see themselves in our business, you know, it's helpful and it's going to help people know like, Hey, I have something do you want, like to offer, whether it's different type of models in old Navy. Um, that's also exactly what Lizzo was trying to do in this song. She changed the, the, the lyric because she's showing you like, this is the type of person I am. And this is the type of person you can be too. Like I'm showing you mm -hmm. that you can be a, you know, consumer of my goods, which is, you know, music, whatever, or her plus size, whatever, because like you can make a mistake and then you can say, I learned and I'm growing better. And that's exactly the type of person mm -hmm. I want to see. I don't want to see someone who doesn't show me anything they've ever done wrong. And I don't want to see someone who doubles down on that. I don't want to see someone who's afraid to point out that there's nuance, afraid to point out that 
that something is just scary. Afraid to point out that maybe I don't like what the media cycle is doing with this. And just because the media cycle is putting this at the top of all of my news stories, that doesn't mean I want to do it. I mean, can we talk about people commenting on the Oscars or the recent court case that's very traumatic, especially people who are survivors of or have had any experience with domestic violence. Yeah. That's very sad. Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. That's very, two people who are so, there's so much sadness and stuff happening around that. And if I see a business taking advantage of that and being like, oh, this is funny. I don't know that I see myself in your business. Right. Even well, if it's and, funny. And I still don't think I see myself in that. Not only the idea that I don't see myself in your business, but that like you're actively using something that may have affected my life or the life of someone I love as a joke. That's using, oh God, Jesus fucking Christ, using anyone's trauma or deeply held personal experience, whether it's their sexuality or their ethnicity or anything, their gender as a fucking joke in order to promote your business and you can fuck right off. Yeah. Like that is, that is not, um, that's not an ethical way to grow your business. It's a really deceitful way to grow your business. And it's a really harmful way to grow your business that ultimately probably isn't going to grow your business. It's not about and the like, it's not about the laugh. Yeah. It's not about that one, that one post where a bunch of people laughed about it. It's about the next time they see you post about something that could be somewhat um, traumatic for some people. And there's another laugh about it. Oh, this person isn't taking certain things trauma or it's the next time you see them in person and they've had an experience that's similar to that experience you were laughing about. I can't fully like, I don't feel fully comfortable in around this person. Well, and, and if, if you are using the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, for example, as an algorithm booster, if you are using that as an algorithm booster, if you are somehow manipulating the experience of that trial and the experiences that the people involved had in order to make it some pithy bullshit thing to grow, quote unquote, your business or grow your community group or whatever. And then three weeks later, you post something about domestic violence or you post something about addiction that is, you know, something that I would identify with something that I'm like, oh yeah, this is really useful information or you're promoting some sort of a nonprofit organization that offers support. I don't fucking believe you. Yeah, I don't either. I don't believe you. And I don't feel safe to divulge my experiences to you. And if I don't feel safe with you, I'm not going to buy from you. Yeah. And can like I tell you the amount of women in when I was actively doing parties who would divulge rape, sexual assault, yep. some form of domestic abuse, some form of um, even some different addictions, um, you know, eating disorders, those things were divulged. And some of the time when they divulged that, all they were wanting to order was shaving cream. Yep. 
but they were divulging this because they trusted me. Right. They heard me talking about things that are kind of that not, you know, the average uh, person talks about when they're walking through Target. I mean, they heard me um, saying these things and they trusted me. And every time I took in those stories with such um, reverence, maybe like yeah. I cannot believe I, I feel incredibly honored that they could say this to me when I know a lot of times they told me 90% of the people in the other room didn't know that about them, even if they saw them every day. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I can't tell you how many times I had people come out to me, their friends didn't know because most of the fucking parties that I did were in the rural communities surrounding Kansas city. Most of my clients were not city people. Most of my clients were rural people. And you know, part of that was because so many people refused to drive that far. And I was like, I will go wherever I am needed. And I always assumed that I was needed in that particular space. And so many times people would divulge things like what you're describing, or they would divulge things about their own sexuality or things about their, you know, partner's sexuality or their children's sexuality or gender identity or whatever to me, because they felt safe in doing that. And if I'm using some sort of traumatic thing as an algorithm booster, they're no longer going to put that trust in me. They're no longer going to have that feeling of safety. And while I want to make this clear, it's not my job as in a direct sales position or as a coach to create someone else's internal emotional safety. It is a hundred percent my job to show up as someone who they can trust and can feel safe with because if you don't feel safe with the person, you're not going to trust them. You're not going to do business with them. And like, how is it even fathomable that people can think that it's appropriate to use trauma as an algorithm booster? I just don't fucking understand. So I also, you know, I, I want to be transparent in that I understand in terms of specifically, <clears throat> excuse me, specifically living with someone who has an addiction or um, experiencing some form of domestic violence or witnessing domestic violence, I have a lot more knowledge and experience in that than, you know, several people I know. And I know well, that. Sure. So I know you also worked with an actual organization and did right. education and stuff. So. Exactly. And that's where I'm getting to it. Like I, I educated people. I did domestic violence one-on-one trainings. I went in to cosmetology school specifically, and I trained, um, people who were training to be cosmetologists and how to recognize signs of domestic abuse, how to talk to your clients when they're divulging this and how to, and I heard every time I did one of those too, at least one person would be like, yeah, so this happened to me, or I had a client say this and I didn't know what to say. Like, thanks for these tools. Thank you for giving me some words to say, to know that like, it, and it's okay to feel uncomfortable about this. So I'm being transparent in that I am very, for lack of a better word, triggered by domestic abuse, domestic violence, um, situations that arise from living with someone who has addiction. I have experienced some of these things. They are not amazing. And I know that those things make me feel more uncomfortable. However, if I were to backtrack and look at myself at the age of, you know, 21, when a lot of that stuff had not happened to me yet, I still feel that I would find it a little like, this is really scary and sad, though, that those those situations they're talking about happening in their personal, intimate lives, you don't know what's happening in anybody's house. 
I don't know how I would feel comfortable laughing about it even then. Well, I, I, I can't that, say how I would feel, but I just feel like there's something about it that even if I laughed initially, there would be some part of me going like, but that's still really sad. I think that and that's, that's not to the, say though, that you can't laugh at scary and hard things. No, of course. But there's a different, there's just some, there's nuance there that I feel like there's a lot of people not fully seeing or being willing to explore. And I think that that gets to the heart of the idea that you can only have the business that is in line with your, like how in touch you are at your core with yourself and how willing you are to be honest with that. Because if I can't imagine anybody who's using trauma as an algorithm booster actually feels good about that. If they were to stop and think about it, which I'm confident many of them have not, but if they were to stop and think about it, like, is this serving me? Is this serving my business? Is this serving my clients? 90% of the people would probably say no, or even potentially when they clicked the share button or whatever, they probably felt some sort of ickiness about it. And when you feel that your business is out of alignment with who you are. Also, you have to be willing to feel that. And that's something that your coaching program is so phenomenal at doing and helping people see like feeling that ickiness doesn't mean, oh, I should just go find something, some other way to feel feeling that ickiness means feel that fucking ickiness and figure out why that feels icky. And if you can't fine, sit with that ickiness, don't try and say, oh, I'll just put something over top of this ickiness. I don't want that ickiness right now. Right. Don't, or other people are doing it. So my mm-hmm. ickiness is valid. My ickiness doesn't matter. No. And I lived my life like this for years. Now I'm sure I am not going to go back and dive through my Facebook 10 years ago. I am sure there were things I posted, things I commented on. Oh, and I would feel so shitty about it. Seeing that I said that now I'm, I'm, I'm not out here on my soapbox. I've never done this before. Um, But I also think it's valid to talk about it because even if people aren't seeing it now, guess what? I'm not saying you suck and I'm not saying you can't see it. I'm not saying you can't do better in the future. I'm not saying you can't serve that ickiness in people in the future for lack of a better way of explaining it. But that ickiness is something that is okay. It's It's okay. It's a signal. It tells you something about yourself. It tells you something about what you're doing. It tells you something about your core identity. It tells you something about your values. It's your emotional fight or flight. It's your emotion saying something about this doesn't feel great. And I lived for years like this thinking that that was a part of me that was broken and I shouldn't be feeling it. I thought it was my lifelong anxiety disorder that was like, you're broken, you're broken. That's why this part of you is happening. Nobody else ever has this. Guess the fuck what? (laughs) Not, not everybody has the anxiety disorder that I have. Not everybody has had the experiences that I have, but guess what? People feel icky. People feel emotionally icky at things, but if you're not taught or given the space to, or given permission to by yourself. And if you can't give it yourself, having someone else give that to you for you to feel that achiness, you don't know what to do with it. So you just keep on going and then you just keep building shit on top of it. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like I know I did that in my business at different times. And I also know that my business really began to thrive in terms of the connection I was making with people and how I felt about everything I was doing on a daily basis when I listened to that achiness and I didn't go forward with something that made me feel that way. Yeah. And the exact same thing is true for me now working in a school with elementary students every day. I know all of their names. And when I first went there, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't really know how to do my job. I knew I could do my job. I just didn't know how, because I'd never done it before. I had never done these tasks. I didn't know about the nuances of working with elementary students. I didn't know all of this stuff. And now I'm like, oh, there were things I did then that made me feel icky. Not in like, anything towards the children, but they were just things that, like, I wish I would have done it this way. Cause this way I know feels better for me. And I think it feels better for them too. And it didn't take me long to find those. All I do every day there, I do the job, the kids get fed, but I want to make sure I feel good about what I'm doing mm-hmm. and how I'm talking to them. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's quote unquote, the right way to say it. Like, I just want to make sure I'm feeling good about that because I am more in touch with that internal icky ick factor. (laughs) (laughs) The IIF, if you will, the internal ick factor. And I use it as a compass. When that fault comes up, "Mm, let me change something about this. Or, ooh, that's a flag for me. So I'm going to address this. I'm going to speak with a staff member like, hey, this came up for me. Could be nothing. Just want to put it out there um, because something about it gave me my IIF and (laughs) I want to make sure like there's not something more that needs to be looked at in terms of making sure this student is safe or whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a life thing. I do it with my child. It's how I parent. Yeah. And that's, I think that that what you're tapping into now is so important to notice. Like recognizing that internal ick factor. I am obsessed with this now. (laughs) Recognizing that internal ick factor will tell you how to and how not to market your business. And also it will tell you how to and how not to present whatever it is that you have for sale as a sale. It will tell you how to and how not to relate to other human beings in every relationship that you have. And it will tell you how to and how not to eat food. It will tell you how to and how not to move your body. When you are in tune with what your body feels like and how your body responds to the shit you're doing, that's going to change everything. And I think that because we are as a society, especially for those of us socialized as women, trained from fucking birth to dissociate from our bodies, so many of us don't even know what that means. When when I'm coaching somebody who's fairly new to (laughs) what what coaching even means, and I'm like, okay, but what does that feel like in your body? I need you to get out of your head and into your body. So often, there's this look of absolute not even confusion. Like it's beyond confusion. It's just like this, like you are speaking another language and that is not even part of my universal existence. You know, like what does it mean to get into my body? 
And as I teach thought work, like it's, it's less about the actual thoughts that you think and more about using your thoughts as a way to get into your body because we're not just like fucking heads in jars over here. We are full autonomous human beings, every single one of us with bodies attached and our bodies are everything. And when we dissociate from them, we do things like market our business in shitty ways. We sell things that we don't actually believe in. We sign up for challenges that we know we're not actually going to fulfill. We buy things that we don't actually use. We use our money in ways that doesn't actually serve us or anyone else. We use our time in ways that don't serve us or anyone else. We eat food that doesn't serve our bodies or you know nourish us, whether that's physically or emotionally or spiritually or what the fuck ever. We don't relate to people in ways that really nourish the relationship itself. Like, and it's 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 dissociation from our bodies that is a big part of that. When we're willing to tap into our bodies, then we're more willing to allow ourselves the space to make mistakes and learn from them and understand why we may not want to do that thing again. Or if we do grant ourselves the grace of full humanity, instead of beating the shit out of ourselves. So many things there too, of like when we're ahead in a jar, which is is right before you said that, I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I used to live like this and so many people do. I'm just this brain. My body is just the vessel it's in. It's just whatever. And, um, I have to make sure that my body does or looks the way it's supposed to look right. Supposed to right in air quotes, (laughs) um, because the only thing I can do is think about what's inside. I can't do anything else that's going to affect the rest of this like my emotions don't affect that. So I just have to physically make it look like this. So I have to buy the right clothes. I have to diet. I have to exercise. So this goes into body neutrality and all of that fight that your body neutrality isn't about fighting and finding the perfect clothes and wearing the perfect size and doing all that. It's about how you feel. It's your internal ick factor. Yeah. And also when we don't see our physicality as our emotions, then we don't see what 99% of the world sees. We yeah. think 99% of the world knows exactly what's happening in our brain because it's being broadcast on a ticker on our forehead. And no, they don't. They see your physicality. They see your vessel. And if you're not using your vessel, your body as your self, your autonomous being, as you said, then nobody is getting that. Yeah. And I, this is one of the things I love the most about my husband. I don't even think he knows he did it, but he was one of the first people that did it. And I listened and acknowledged it. Who knows how many people tried to tell me this before or asked me these questions before or did this before. Um, But he was one of the first people who, who brought my attention to it and who I wanted to listen to because I didn't like that about myself Mm -hmm. was just bringing attention to when I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, so I love him. And, um, I, I bought him that thing and I want to watch the show with him and I want to do this with him. Um, and he knows that he knows that he knows that, but physicality, I was bald onto myself in the couch, 
maybe with my phone playing a game. And when things were said to me, it was not a lot of eye contact and it was a lot of like mumbling and whatever. None of that said to him, I want to be in this room with you and I want to experience this thing with you. None of that. Yeah. And so there is a lot of the mind-body connection and some people are a lot better about this. And this does kind of delve into, you know, intimacy and sex because sex is the physical embodiment for some people of love. But it is so apparent in everything that you do. And then also now as a parent, making sure like my child knows how I'm moving through the world is showing him how I feel about him. And if you're not in connection with your body, you could be so proud of your child or so happy about something they're doing or whatever. But if you're moving through the world, stomping, not really looking at them, not acknowledging them, whether it's physically or just being, they don't know that. Like Mm -hmm. using your vessel to experience something is something that I have gotten so much better at. And I know I'm still not amazing at. There are days when my anxiety is flaring and I can feel it then. And now I'm aware. And I say, Hey, I'm feeling very anxious about a few different things today. So I know I'm more in my head. I call it in my head, more in my head than normal. So my, my husband will say, Hey, you don't look like you're, you're not, you don't look like you're doing very good. Are you okay? Yes. Thank you for asking. It's this thing. And I know that I'm in my head right now and I'm okay with it, but I appreciate you asking if you can support me in any way. He's like, okay, thank you. Like he sees it and he immediately knows I'm in my head. Let me check in. Let me make sure she's doing okay. Mm-hmm. Because he's learned my physical cues. And because he learned them, then I started to learn them because I wanted to have that relationship with him and help him understand that. When, when it is not easy. With your body and when you are... When you understand what you're thinking that is leading to the emotional experience you're having that is then expressing itself in the way you show up, then you're able to tune into how you're showing up and then choose on purpose how you want to show up. Because if the way you show up by default is completely detached from any of that, from your emotional experience and from your physical body, then you're not going to be able to show up in relationships fully because you're going to just be a fucking head in a jar. And that's not what anyone can or wants to relate to. No, a head in a jar can only go so much in the world. Like you can only do so much. You may seem like you're doing a lot, but you're not. Yeah. And this is another reason why your work, your coaching and your, you know, thought work is so important because it's, what do you, when you feel that emotion, what do you do? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Are you eating? Are you running? Are you sleeping? Are you, and all of those things are some form of like physical activity, even if the physical activity is holding your phone and scrolling on Facebook, that's still a physical yeah. activity. That's still like your body is not in like, you know, an echo chamber. Um, <laughs> right. So it's like, what are you doing with your vessel when that thing is happening in your head? Okay. How does that feel? Do you want to continue to do that? No. Should we do something else? Okay. And that's where it's so valuable to recognize those things. And it is not easy. Like you said, you look at, I looked at you too. I'm like, I don't know how it fucking feels. I feel like me all the time, Kelly, but this emotion up here, I don't like that. 
oh, wait, that emotion is in my body. That emotion is why I'm biting my fingernails. Oh, no, I don't believe you. I didn't want to believe you, even though I believed you, because I believe everything you say, even if I don't like it, because of our friendship and our relationship. But it is hard and it gets easier, but it's not always perfect. Ever. No, it's never perfect. Jesus, God. It's no. But you have to be willing to find that, feel that internal ick factor and see where it's taking you. And this is not something like, okay, well, read this book then and do this thing and then you'll be better. This is something like, just be aware always. Mm -hmm. And eventually like it becomes easier to be aware. And then eventually you start doing things that feel a little better. Speaking of reading a book though, before we started recording, you mentioned something about a book that you're reading and I want to know what this book is and more about it. (laughs) Oh, um, well, you probably don't because it's um, a thriller suspense novel about two women and some really awful experiences they have when they're traveling alone in foreign countries. Um, Think like borderline broke down palace type stuff so far, but, but in it, I'm very fascinated to see where it's going to go because one of the women it's told from her perspective. It's like a, you know, first person from her perspective. And she starts going to therapy to kind of like face what's happening. All of these, these traumas that have happened to her and her friend and her and her herself. And I think I know where it's going, but then again, it's a suspense type novel. So who knows? But what the therapist starts saying is, oh, interesting. So you talk about that with your friend. Okay. So do you feel, and immediately the therapist starts saying, do you feel that you need to be perfect in your relationship with your friend? Do you have to have perfection with your friend? Mm-hmm. Um, do you, does your friend need to be perfect, a perfect friend to you? And she just keeps circling this. And the woman, like, understandably, I've been in therapy before where I'm like, what are you trying to say to me? Like, sometimes you don't need to know what they're trying to say to you. Just listen to their words and think about those words. Um, but I've read through, there's been like two or three therapy sessions she's had thus far in the book. And each one of them I'm reading them and I'm just like, this is just fascinating how it's literally a textbook therapy conversation. But at the same time, I have not read, I mean, to be fair, I, I only read novels now in the summer where it felt so real and nuanced. Like I knew I was understanding what the therapist was saying and why the therapist was asking that. And I also understood from the character's perspective, why the character was like, what is happening and all of this. And it was just all of those conversations in this novel really struck me um, as like, this is, this is, this is important and this is the stuff. And I don't read a conversation like this a lot that really gives you that, like, I see why she's saying this. Oh, I see that. Oh, I see that in my life too. I see that in here. You know, the idea of perfectionism that is, you know, pervading our culture. And I find it, I don't know when this book was written. I, I think it was, it's within the last like year or two. And I don't think that it's, if this book was written 15 years ago, I don't think that conversation would happen in that way in the book. Yeah. That's like, so- I really think it's, it's, I really think it's, it, I, I don't know anything about the author or anything. Once again, like I just, it's on the book list of books that I'm like, thriller suspense recommended by this book list. Great. I'm going to try it. Cause that's where I'm at this summer. That's why it's the fifth one I've read in the last three weeks. Cause I'm just like, that's how I'm doing my summer. I just, 
I can't decide if I want to find out more about the author and more about the nuance of it, or if I just want to let it exist in that little, its own little thing. Cause it's just really kind of fascinating. Yeah. What is the book? We were never here. Okay. I can't tell you the author right now. It's on my Libby app. Our, our library got a new electronic book app and it is so good. It's so wonderful. I've been using the other one for years and the interface was awful and half the time it would time out and it was hard to search. And this new one is really great. Um, my kid and I are both, we've both read several books on it and he's doing several audiobooks that way. And the interface is great and it's much more effective and efficient. And it keeps a list of what you've borrowed and read, which our other one didn't. I was like, I think I read this book before, but I don't remember. And I was like, I don't know. Now I can go back and be like, I borrowed this one. I had this one for two days. I had this one for five days. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. So anyway, that's the name of the book. Don't ask me the title. I mean, the author right now, but I really am enjoying the therapist conversations and I'm interested to see where it's going to go because I'm only about a third of the way into it so far. I love the idea of reading a, um, a conversation of that type of interaction, whether it's like a therapist or a coach or like whatever, like when you, and this is why I offer group coaching, right? Because like when you can witness somebody else's coaching, you are able to take that and internalize it and apply it to your life in a way that when you're receiving coaching, it's a, it's a little bit different because when, when you're watching from externally and applying it to your own life, then it, it resonates at like a deeper level. And so I can imagine reading it would also, you know, be similar. Yeah. You just hit it. That's also why I, I do a lot better. I, I enjoy books that are um, like nonfiction books about like Brene Brown and stuff like that. Like I enjoy the concepts of them, but I don't read them as well. And I think that's exactly why I feel as I'm reading them, like it's being told to me and, Oh, I don't know if I want to hear this right now, even though like I could just be taking it in as a story, but instead I'm reading it as in like, it's being told to me. And then I get that internal ick factor and I don't want to sit in that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, navigate navigate towards novels particularly for like pleasure reading whatever because i'm just watching it same with coaching i really enjoy your group coaching and there are several people and i've, I've told them all you know I, I really love not only seeing for you how great this is it's like watching a tv show and the character that you really like like has this really awesome thing happen to them but also because then i am looking at myself through you and your coaching and i'm seeing that and that just made me realize that's why I, I do struggle sticking with reading books that are, you know, not, not self-help, but that type of, you know, talking about like delving into brain and nuance and thoughts and all of that. Yeah. Interesting. I think that that's pretty common actually to like be able to internalize some sort of quote unquote lesson from a story, but I think this is a great conversation. We've gone a hundred places, which I always expect and appreciate of our conversations. Um, and we'll do it again next month. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. I love you. I'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.